Today's reading comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. Один из законников подошел и, слыша, как они спорили и как хорошо Иисус отвечал им, спросил его, какая заповедь важнейшая из всех? Иисус ответил, вот важнейшая заповедь. Слушай, о Израиль, Господь Бог наш есть единый Господь, и ты должен возлюбить Господа Бога твоего всем сердцем твоим, всей душою твоею, всем разумом твоим и всей силой твоею. Вторая заповедь такая. Возлюби ближнего своего, как самого себя. Нет никакой другой заповеди важнее этих. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Elena, for that reading. Um, how many of you think that was Spanish? Raise your hand. Okay, no. Italian? Anybody? How about Russian? Yeah. Boy, you guys are linguistically savvy. I can see that. Uh, the gospel in every nation, every tribe, every language, that's the goal of the gospel, isn't it? To share the good news concerning Jesus Christ with everyone. Today's sermon is going to be significantly different than most. Because today I want to talk about us. Or in a more particular way, I want to talk about our mission to the world and how we do it. Those of you who are bulletin readers or those of you who listen to Josiah every single Sunday morning when he introduces events at ECC may remember a phrase like this, where a church that's reflecting the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in a college town. Of course, that doesn't mean that all we do is minister to college students. It means that we just acknowledge our location. It's a college town. And in this particular place, our town, We seek to reflect the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ. But our mission is bigger than this town. We've often called ourselves a receiving, equipping, and sending church because so many people come to us. We receive them. They're equipped and they're sent back out to different parts of the world or different parts of this country. And even you and I who stay around week after week, we're received in to community. And we're equipped in community and we're sent out to this particular community to reflect the redeeming grace and transforming truth of Jesus Christ in this our town. But how do we do that as it relates to missions globally? There could be a number of ways of describing our mission to the world, but I want to suggest four ways in which we do that. First, we do it through enlightening minds. That is to say, we give the light of the gospel to other people. Sometimes missions is giving the light of the gospel to people in unreached lands, those who've never really heard a synopsis at all, or at least a proper synopsis of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, one of our missions categories is to send people into unreached people groups with the strategic objective of someday establishing a church in those unreached people groups. But that's not the only way we enlighten minds as it relates to missions. We enlighten minds by stepping into communities, to places all over the world, who really misunderstand what Christianity is all about. You know they do, right? There's people all over the world who can't seem to separate the good news concerning Jesus Christ with Western democracy. 
And there's good reason for that. Because the history of Christianity is sometimes inordinately linked to countries and their political agendas. We know, for instance, that in the history of our our great religion, Christianity, some nations under the flag of the cross have conquered other nations. Can you imagine Jesus conquering another nation at the point of a sword? We also know that in our great religion of Christianity, we have people who call themselves Christ followers who have forced people to convert to Christ at the point of the sword. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ or die. Baptize or you'll be baptized in your own blood. We know in the history of Christianity that numerous people not just in this country, but all over the world, have reinforced a slave trade of humanity in the name of Jesus. You know that, right? And like me, you think it abhorrent. You say, how could that be a reflection of the grace of Jesus Christ? It can't be, and I agree. But here's the problem. Lots of people don't know the difference. And for our missionaries, they're placed in regions of the world that have deep misunderstanding concerning what the faith is about. So enlightening the mind means pulling back the veil of misunderstanding so people can hear and see the heart of the gospel. And they do that by living in the context and speaking the word of truth. There's a third way that we enlighten minds as it relates to missions. We enlighten minds by moving into a place where skepticism is high. And you know as well as I do that frequently skepticism is at its highest in university communities. Where so frequently the intellect seems to eclipse or be in contradiction to faith itself. And in those communities we have missionaries here at IU and other parts of this country and around the world who are doing best to pull down that wall of separation between the mind, the life of the mind, the intellect, and faith. And they're challenging people to understand that the life of faith is not contrary to the mind. The life of faith, believing in God and Jesus Christ and the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ opens up new ways of understanding life itself. And as a matter of fact, the mind is enriched by faith. That's part of what we do. We have at least six missionaries in this country and in others who do exactly that. I was overwhelmed at one point remembering uh, my time at Yale University for five years running when I was able, my wife and I, to sponsor a young man who was at this church and found his calling to go to the university campus to share the love of Christ. And he came to us and he said, my mission is Yale University. You know, I was overwhelmed by that. Why? I'm not going to give a lot of money as an alum to Yale University. I don't have that kind of money. The people that came from Yale University are on Capitol Hill, and 
business owners of Fortune 500 companies, and they'll support Yale University. But you know what I do? I send the love of God in Jesus Christ to an individual and multiple individuals on that campus who need their minds enlightened by the truth of Jesus Christ through this young man. And we do that all over the world. The second thing we do as it relates to missions at ECC, we don't just enlighten the mind, we enrich the heart. Because we realize that the enlightenment of the mind, to understand and just to believe in a static intellectual way is not the whole of the gospel. As a matter of fact, it only moves you in the direction of the gospel. To really embrace and understand the gospel of Jesus Christ is to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord in your heart by faith. As Paul puts it in Romans 10, it's with the mouth that you confess. It's with the heart that you believe. So with your mouth and with your heart, confess and believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. And with that demonstrative statement of faith, you will be saved. And your life will be transformed. And the transformation of your life is a transformation of your heart. You're enriched in your heart because of the presence of Jesus Christ, your Savior and Lord, and the power of the Holy Spirit in everything you do. And the transformation of your mind and your heart through Christ Jesus our Lord. We preach that as we send people out. So we enlighten the mind and we enrich the heart. But we're also empowering the hands. You know, history, not just political history, but even the history of Christian theology is a history of extremes and corrections and overcorrections. One part of the history of Christian theology is what you might call, you may have heard, of the social gospel movement. That is to say, to be reductionistic, that the gospel in the nutshell is reaching out to the poor and the impoverished and empowering them to live a better life. That is the gospel. Those are the hands and feet of Jesus. And sometimes, if not frequently, that social gospel does not carry with it what we might call enriching the heart by faith. The transformation of the inside of an individual, the surrender of your life to Jesus Christ. I know, I I lived in that context for a while. I pastored a mainline church that had a steady diet of the gospel simply being the social gospel of Jesus Christ. And that church all but withered and died. Because the heart of the gospel was taken right out of the church. I am not about to say that the social gospel is in some way a false gospel. What I'm saying is that it must be both. You cannot imagine the history of the teachings of Jesus without imagining a Jewish rabbi who was ultimately concerned about the heart, but was equally concerned about the impoverished, the poor, the needy, the oppressed. He himself said, I came to free prisoners, not just from the heart, but from real prisons. He was a friend of the sinners. 
and the history of the gospel of Jesus Christ since the burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ has been a history of social transformation as well as enriching of the heart. Everywhere the gospel goes, economic conditions rise. Everywhere the gospel goes, oppression falls. Everywhere the gospel goes, if it's communicated holistically, it touches and empowers people for a better life in this present world. That's part of the gospel. Why do I seem so emphatic about that? Because corrections and overcorrections in the history of the church sometimes leave important aspects of the gospel behind. So the social gospel movement, it left an important aspect of the gospel behind. The heart of the matter in surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. And the evangelical gospel, yes us, sometimes leaves behind the social gospel. All we talk about is the salvation of the soul and we do little to think about the empowering of the hands of those who are impoverished, oppressed, and imprisoned. It must be both, my friends. So as the gospel of Jesus Christ is extended by us, we enlighten the hearts and minds of everyone. We enrich the hearts and minds of everyone. And we empower people who are otherwise disenfranchised with the gospel message concerning Jesus Christ. I know that there are a lot of missionaries on our roles that are very active in empowering people. Empowering their hands and helping them to have a, a better life. But the one that comes to mind most immediately is the one that I know best. So I just want to illustrate just one. His name is David Mensa. You've heard me speak of him repeatedly. David Mensa is a native Ghanaian. He did his graduate education in Canada, finished his PhD in agricultural development with the goal to return to northern Ghana to do his best to empower the people in poverty that he grew up with. He established an organization called NEA, that stands for National Empowerment Association. And in the name of Jesus Christ, he empowers people to pull themselves out of poverty. You know, one of the first things he did to empower people in that way, he started drilling wells, getting fresh water, and reduced diseases in the northern region of his country by 70% just by drilling freshwater wells. Another thing he did early on in the process of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and empowering people to make a better life for themselves is he, he took widows who were destitute in this culture and said, I want to allow you to farm this plot of land, this acre right here. And I want to teach you how to raise peanuts, an important protein in the diet of his people. He taught them how to raise peanuts on that acre lot. And then through sweat equity, investing in that lot, they gave part of their proceeds to NEA to buy more properties and part of their proceeds to other women to enable them to get seed, to plant peanuts in another part of Ghana, another plot of land. And before it was all over, through that process, these widows were, shall we say, given 
the land that they first farmed. And they began to reproduce among other widows, one acre after another, that brought protein into the diet of people who were literally starving. That's not all he did. That's not where he stopped. He continues to do remarkable things. He realized that part of the protein problem in his country, in northern Ghana, was a lack of, well, fish. And his people love fish. But they did not have access to clean water and fish, so he decided, I can do this. And he started a fish hatchery. I wish you could see it. Gigantic ponds with thousands of fish swarming in them. And he produces these fish and distributes it to people who are in excessive need. And diseases have plummeted and, and hunger has all but disappeared in a way that it had not before. Not only that, uh, David realized that a lot of people, for one reason or another, were polluting major rivers in the northern part of Ghana. One is called the Black Volga River. DDT was a part of it. Even DDT used to kill fish so you could get large quantities of fish for yourself. Can you imagine? So the fishermen could pull in a great big catch. They poisoned the fish. And as a part of the process of trying to bring some ecological balance to the Black Volga River, he began to, he began to recruit people who were volunteers many fishermen themselves who would police that river, large sections of it, be on it day and night watching for this kind of abuse of the river and report it to the authorities. We've been there a number of times with different teams and groups to work with him. He has build, uh, built uh, schools for the government to empower children to learn how to read. He has built multiple medical clinics all over northern Ghana to help people eliminate diseases. And now the latest project is he's building a hospital. Not a medical clinic, but a full-scale hospital in northern Ghana that never existed in that region before. That's what you call empowering the hands. And he's doing it in the name of Jesus. And as a part of all of that, Somehow he's found a way to establish about 35 churches. How about that for being a missionary? We support people like that. We not only enlighten minds and enrich hearts and empower hands, but we're called to establish community. As a matter of fact, if you think about the history of missions, a bit reductionistic, I'll admit, it, it begins with the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is really the first major missionary in the Christian church. And he leaves Jerusalem after he's come to faith in Christ and he starts to go into other regions of the Roman Empire. And what does he do? He gathers around him a group of people who believe and he establishes a community called a church. And he will not leave until the church is established. And then he goes somewhere else and he gathers around a group of people, establishes a com community called church, and then he moves on. We want to enlighten the minds, enrich the hearts, empower the hands. But we want to establish community too. Quite frankly, this is a critique. For over 30 years at ECC, We've not had a strategic plan to establish churches. Our plan has been to help people 
do the kind of ministry they want to do. And we want to figure out ways where we can be strategic about establishing churches overseas. We don't have to do all the work. We certainly don't have to have all the money because it wouldn't work if that was the criteria. We have to encourage people that we know in other parts of the world to establish communities of faith. Just look at this place. Who are we and what do we do best? We're a church in a university community. We seem uniquely equipped to minister in a university town. And we have representatives from ECC in university towns in different parts of the world. What if, under the auspices of those missionaries, by our help, churches were established? Churches where they could be nurtured and where the gospel of Jesus Christ could be shared and community could be established in other parts of the world because of ECC. We'd like to do that. I leave you with one final story. We call ourselves sometimes a receiving, equipping, and sending church. And a number of years ago, a young woman was invited to be a part of the youth group when John Mangrum was the youth pastor. She was an unchurched young woman and somewhere late junior high or early high school. She began to attend uh, ECC at the youth group. Invited by Gretchen Smith, uh, Stephen Donna's daughter. Her name was Kristen. Some of you may know her. Her maiden name, Kristen Benedict. She grew up in our company. We received her in, and then she went off to college, and in that place met her husband. But he wasn't from the United States. He was from Eastern Europe. And he had a vision to go back to his country and to establish churches. And so part of the way that he prepared himself to do that is to go to seminary. So for three years... Kristen and Victor spent at Asbury Seminary in Wilmore, Kentucky, preparing for the ministry. When they finished, they decided it was time to go, and they began to raise money and raise funds. And we've added them as one of our missionaries to Eastern Europe. What's Victor's role? Victor's role is primarily to equip church planters to plant churches in Eastern Europe and beyond. We saw it as matching one of our strategic objectives and being able to do that at least at one level. Churches in Hungary and Romania and Eastern Europe and even several in the northern part of Italy. We're so excited about being able to see a young woman come through our ranks, receive Christ at this place and be sent out with her husband and her lovely family to establish churches in other parts of our world. That's what we like to see more of at ECC. We'd like to see God's kingdom come and his will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. So really, I conclude with three things. Uh, number one, every year it happens. Somebody who comes to ECC and may have come because IU finds a calling to go abroad as an international missionary. Maybe God is tugging at your heart. Listen. Second, we want to pray for all those people who are apart from us and in other parts of the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And third, we want you to pray for us, especially our missions committee, as we try to re-envision missions for the 21st century at ECC. Looking at new and innovative ways that we've never explored before for sharing 
the gospel. I told you it'd be a little different. Thanks for listening. That's what we're doing. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for giving us the gift of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, which has enlightened our minds, enriched our hearts, empowered our hands, and helped us to understand the importance of establishing community. We pray that by your grace, you will bless those who have gone overseas and in this country to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you will also enlighten us permissions in the 21st century in the ways in which we may creatively share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that there are always those who come here to be with us for a period of time who find their calling in some manner as a missionary. And we pray that you will call them and bless them and send them by your grace. We're so grateful, Lord, that it's not up to us because we don't have the strength or the wisdom or the money to make it happen. But we have you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has promised that all the ends of the earth will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can be partners in that great mission. For that, we give you thanks. We pray, Lord, you will continue to send us out to make you known. Through Christ we pray. Amen.